Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control, Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Our compatriot, Noel, is currently traveling, but will be returning soon. So no worries there. I've got to say, Matt, it's uh, it's interesting now to uh, just just be back in the studio recording. Yes, we've been gone for about a week. Mm-hmm doing live shows all around the Northeast, and now we're, <laughs> we've researched a topic that is very dark. We're sitting in this dark room. Mm-hmm. It is Halloween as we record this. That's true, yeah. And uh, yeah, this is just a warning up front. You probably read the title, unless this just auto-played somehow. Mm-hmm. This is an episode about concentration camps, all of the various kinds, uh, including the most horrific uh, iterations of this. So just be warned, this is a topic not for sensitive listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the topic is so dark, in fact, that we decided not to recap our tour on this episode. It felt inappropriate. So we'll do that in a later episode. This episode starts on a dark note, 
but we believe it is of vital importance. We've all heard of concentration camps. Most often these camps are associated with the Holocaust and the actions of the National Socialist or Nazi regime in Germany during World War II. But that's not the whole story. No, those – we'll kind of get into it further. Mm-hmm. Many of those became extermination camps, mm-hmm. which is an entirely different thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. So if you're like many people in the US or in the Western world, then when you think of concentration camps, you think exclusively mm-hmm. of the horrific atrocities visited upon German citizens during the war or people who lived in German-controlled areas. But the freeze concentration camp goes goes back much further, correct? Yeah, that's correct. It's uh, It wasn't always a, a purely German concept. It originated in 1897 when the first re-concentration camps were set up in Cuba by General Valeriano Whaler. And this was um, – He's a Spanish general and he was rounding up or he gave eight days to Cubans to leave or get to these basically reconcentration camps Mm -hmm. because he was basically attempting to control the population. Right. All a concentration camp is when you look at the definition is um, a way to confine people based on certain perceived common attributes to a single area so that they may be controlled or more closely monitored. And usually it's a group that is considered undesirable in some way. Yeah, to the current regime. Yeah, yeah. There's never been a concentration camp of, you know, people who were very smart or very good at juggling. You know, they haven't been rounded up and forced to juggle for hours on end. Yes, or highly positive members of the current social group. Right, right. Yeah, you, concentration camps aren't for, you know, movie stars and what else? Olympic athletes. Correct. In some cases, this phrase concentration camp became a euphemism for things like labor camps, re-education camps, or most tragically, as you have mentioned, Matt, extermination camps, wherein prisoners or detainees were intentionally sent to a single place for the purpose of mass murder. And typically, when they were on the way to an extermination camp or when extermination was in the cards, they were told these would be labor camps or re-education camps. Yeah. So it was deceit, trickery, chicanery that led these people to these tragic ends. And you know, another thing a lot of people don't know about this topic is that concentration camps were set up in Germany and by the Nazi party prior to World War II actually beginning even. Mm -hmm. And there were, yeah, we're talking about the ghettoization, for instance. Mm -hmm. You can only live in certain areas of the country or a city. We're also talking about the... I guess the change in purpose or the change in motivation for the Nazi party during World War II because originally they were attempting to – in some cases, they were attempting to force certain groups to immigrate, to leave the country. Yeah, it was a a measure to essentially scare, terrorize Mm -hmm. their own population of people living in the area to leave. And then as the war ignited – 
and continued, uh, the government began imprisoning people or detaining them to prevent them from leaving the country. And this this involved um, the forfeiture of all of their assets unless they were able to hide them or, or somehow get them out of the country. Mm-hmm. This also included, you know, just inhuman levels of degradation, humiliation, torture, and then eventually, as we know, genocide. And they were gunning for relatively, in their opinion, relatively specific types of people, most notably people of the Jewish faith or even people who had a Jewish background or their family was Jewish. It didn't matter. What what we're saying is it did not matter whether or not they were practicing Judaism, you know? Yes, religion was less of import than essentially where where this group of people was from Mm -hmm. and perhaps – what perceived political beliefs by the Nazi party. Right. They were treating this as a matter of ethnicity, and this was a cause that was meant to unify the non-Jewish German people and get them to support this insane, monstrous aim. There were other groups that were also persecuted, also imprisoned, forced to work as slaves, and then murdered. Uh, those would include uh, people who had same-sex orientation. You know what I mean? Uh, that This would also include the Roma, the historically called gypsies at the time. The travelers, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a lot of POWs, political prisoners— uh, even Jehovah's Witnesses and people of other religious beliefs mm-hmm. and faiths ended up in these camps. And these groups were forced into hard labor under these brutal conditions. And as we said, in many cases, they were led to their deaths. The lead editors of the Encyclopedia of Camps and Ghettos, uh, 1933 to 1945, of the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, cataloged, 42,500 Nazi ghettos and camps throughout Europe, not just in Germany, but in areas of France and Russia where German forces controlled the communities. The authors of this, Jeffrey McGargy and Martin Dean, also, uh, they, they say this operated from 1933 to 1945. So as you said, Matt, before the beginning of the Second World War, but they also cataloged how many people were in imprisoned in these sites or died, and the number is staggering. Yeah, it's somewhere between 15 and 20 million human beings. Wow. Yeah. And and that, again, it's staggering to imagine that. What's also staggering to imagine is that we, I guess humanity somewhat learned from their mistakes in this way, and yet we still, after World War II, continued putting people in camps like this. Mm -hmm. Again, not extermination camps, but camps that uh, concentrate a certain group of people. Right. And when we say not extermination camps, we have to be very clear in that we don't know of, we we don't know of something, certainly not on that scale. But concentration camps were not just relegated to wars of yesteryear. And even in the days of World War II, they were not relegated to Europe. Roosevelt himself authorized the mass incarceration and internment of Japanese American citizens. And when he did this, he called those locations 
where these innocent men, women, and children were uh, detained. He called them concentration camps. They were concentrating the Japanese-American population. Yeah, and the people that got caught up, caught up in these camps were about 112,000 people. They're both first-generation and second-generation Japanese-Americans. Most of them were living on the West Coast, and they were forced – to temporarily go to these places or they were relocated there. They called them, uh, like you said, concentration camps and relocation camps. Mm -hmm. And they had to go there regardless of whether or not they were full citizens. Right, right. And the second generation thing is very important too because imagine that your grandparents came to the U.S. from Japan or maybe even from Hawaii or something, right, Mm -hmm. where there's a large Japanese population – And you don't speak Japanese. You have like a weird Bay Area, California accent. If anything, you were wondering when you were going to be drafted for the army. Yeah, and you end up here just because of your heritage. Mm -hmm. And because of the perceived security risk that the government saw at the time. Now, in – I hesitate to say in the U.S.'s defense. Uh, Let's say instead in the interest of accuracy – So far as we know, despite this uh, great and unforgivable injustice that the U.S. committed against its own citizens, people were not being tortured and murdered. We also should mention that at the same time, there were hundreds of Italian Americans and German Americans who were not detained but were banned from going to certain areas on both the East and the West Coast, again, for concerns of of spying and espionage. Yeah. Well, we noticed that a lot of what we're going to be hearing about for the rest of the the day, or this episode Mm -hmm. at least, is the concerns from the governments are security-based, generally when something like this is enacted, generally, Mm -hmm. because there are a few cases where it is not. and that is not to excuse it in any way. Mm-hmm. It's just you can see the, the perhaps the motivation behind the powers making these things happen. I would say – I don't know. I would say there's – it feels like that's the official explanation often. But, I'm, you know, it's going to be up to you folks to see how much on a case-by-case basis this claim holds water because that's the thing. I think that's the the elephant in the room that we've been waiting to mention here, and we should get it out of the way now. Concentration camps, as as I think you alluded to earlier, Matt, never really went away. They are still here in the modern day. That is baffling, that is beyond disturbing, that is genuinely terrifying to realize that here – As we record this episode in 2018, countries around the world are actively creating new concentration camps, new institutions founded on ethnic discrimination and with some of the same horrific and insane practices found in the concentration camps from Germany. It's still happening. Yeah, and we're going to take a closer look right after this word from our sponsor. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing 
implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Here's where it gets crazy. Although nothing currently exists on the scale of Nazi concentration camps, at least again, nothing that we know of yet, the truth is that, as we said, countries across the planet are actively detaining citizens for for different reasons that are seen as egregious or threatening by the government. We mentioned ethnicity. There's also legal status. Are you are you not a citizen of this country? Uh, perceived political opinions. Do you are you suspected of wanting to topple the regime and so on? Or 
of course, their religious beliefs, among other things. And our first example here um, comes from across the Pacific. It's something that is astonishing in terms of scale. It's by far one of the largest active detainment operations on the planet today. And it's occurring in western China. One of China's biggest boons and problems is that it has so many people. 1.4 billion residents. That's, uh, that's a lot of mouths to feed and mm-hmm. a lot of jobs to, to, you know, that are needed. There's just that comes, there come a lot of issues with having that many people in the People's Republic of China. Uh, again, being the world's most populous country, um, it's, it's attempting in its own way to deal with something that it perceives as a problem. Um, although the government, of course, wouldn't officially come out and make a statement, anything to, uh, to this effect, it is, it is in a constant struggle to unify its citizenship because it is so huge. There are so many people from different ethnic and um, backgrounds from different countries that have assimilated into China. Mm-hmm. Um, it is trying to create one China, essentially. Right. Uh, overall, that's, that's one of its biggest, biggest goals, speaking about China as though it's a person. But it is the, the People's Party, the People's Republic of China, and they do have uh, large, I guess, unifying goals in that way. Right. So this is this is something weird because here in the West, China is often presented as somewhat of a monolithic entity, right? Mm-hmm. And we will typically hear of two places where there is some sort of domestic tension or friction. That would be Tibet and that would be Taiwan. However, behind the scenes, domestically, the governing party of China is in a constant struggle to assimilate its ethnic groups because China is not just one people. There's a myriad of ethnic groups. The dominant ethnic group is the Han, H-A-N, and they enjoy vast advantages over many other groups or communities there. And for for comparison, we could say consider consider other countries with caste systems or other countries with – uh, systemic racism, and you will see that the Han enjoy different advantages. Uh, typically, you you will be more likely to have a better job, mm-hmm. maybe a, a better shot at career advancement. You'll probably come. F- you'll have a better chance of coming from a good family, by which we only mean financially well off, and yeah. you'll have a better chance of going to a good school and so on. All those all those things, like if you ever hear the phrase, uh, this person started life on third base and then called it a home run yeah. kind of thing, it's, it's similar to that. And of course, that doesn't apply to everyone because there are billions of people there, yeah. but it does apply um, statistically, it bears out. And many regions of China are home to people with a unique non-Han culture. You know, we mentioned Tibet. But in this case, we're exploring a far western region of China known as Xinjiang. And Xinjiang is located – it's so far west, man, it's pretty much Eurasia. 
Yeah, if you're looking at a map of China, which is huge. <laughs> yes, it's huge. And you're going to see Tibet kind of in the southwestern mm-hmm. corner mm-hmm. and like Mongolia is kind of on the, on the northern side. Mm-hmm. And in between those two, if you keep going west, just up there in the corner, uh, as you're just pushing for like further and further mm-hmm. west, you, you'll see it. Yeah, and this this area is largely – populated by a group of people known as Uyghurs, U-Y-G-H-U-R-S. These are the descendants of communities who traveled along the legendary trade route known as the Silk Road. They are overwhelmingly Muslim. And for years and years and years, the Chinese government has tried various strategies to assimilate this population, right? Begin to think of yourself not as Uyghurs, but as... Chinese nationals. Yeah. That's a that's a tall order for mm-hmm. people with with so much of of a history that that is different, you know, from from that Chinese the the Chinese culture. Right. Yeah. That's not an easy task. I from either side to to either change even just a one family mm-hmm. to completely change their cultural identity from the inside or from the outside. Right, right. And it's a distinct, unique culture. The food is different. The language is different. The script uh, that they would write with Mm -hmm. might be different. And many of the, of course, the religious celebrations are different. So in recent years, after about 2009 or so, the Chinese government resorted to putting people in something they call re-education centers. These are detainment camps. These are concentration camps. And the population, which is understandably incredibly um, frightened by this, uh, the population has had to start describing this stuff circuitously or making allusions and euphemisms. So you won't say someone has been sent off to a camp. You will say that they went to school. Yeah. So so what are what what's the deal with these camps, Matt? Well, one of the biggest deals is the number of people that are trapped in them. Hmm. And it is not a situation where you are sent there uh to be reeducated and then you get to leave or you you know, you you are voluntarily reeducated. No, no, no. You are detained and sent to one of these camps and there are one million human beings there right now. Almost all of them Muslim minorities. Uh, the Uyghurs that we talked about, the Kazakhs, the Uzbeks, the Hui, and others. Um, again, almost o- over a million of them currently detained in this massive network of internment camps, all in the northwestern Chinese territory that we talked about, mm-hmm. uh, Xin, Xinjiang. Mm-hmm. And these camps are part of a campaign that the PRC refers to as Strike Hard. Which Ooh. just sounds sounds like a weird, terrible early '90s cop show. Strike hard. Yeah, it's just a bad translation. I want to say probably. Yeah, that's a good point, Matt. So this program allegedly uses extrajudicial detention. That all that means is that you get locked up and you don't get a trial. Yeah, that's all that means. You don't have due process <laughs> or anything like that. You know, like one of the most terrifying things that could possibly happen to you. Right. Right. Uh, they will also use surveillance, political indoctrination, or whoosh, whoosh, re-education, whoosh, whoosh, which you know is essentially brainwashing. Uh, also, physical torture and abuse to root out extremist elements. And we 
in the rest of the world know about this because there is a growing mass of evidence, not just witness accounts, but media reports and also government documents, and then flyover satellite images that confirm these are real locations. Uh, recently, a U.S. Congressional Commission on China called this, quote, the largest mass incarceration of a minority population in the world today. We we talked about how this, this started relatively recently too, 2009 or so, but why? It began for a reason. Mm-hmm. That much is sure. There, there was a series of violent Uyghur riots in 2009 and they continued – up mm-hmm. until about 2016 and they were truly violent it it it's not as though you know this was this was not a thing at all and completely unsubstantiated at least the fears on the part of um the government yeah. There were some very violent actions that took place. Yes, absolutely. These are what we today refer to as the July 2009 Romchi riots. I am mispronouncing this. I apologize. So the riots lasted over several days starting the 5th of July and people started disappearing. The The riots escalated into violent attacks that targeted people of the Han ethnicity. And at this point still – Years later, we don't officially know how many how many Uyghur died or mm-hmm. how many Han died. But as as a result of this, from the Chinese perspective, something had to be done. They had to get control of a separatist extremist group that could cause instability in the country. Yeah. Because the the Chinese attitude on Human rights is very different from the Western attitude on human rights. Uh, Things that are considered like civic or civil rights in the U.S. are often prioritized uh, with a a little bit more weight. And things that are considered economic rights, like the right to have a good job and the right to progress financially and so on, those are more heavily weighted in the Chinese sphere. And this means that – um, the best way for the government to keep people from rioting in the streets and throwing the world into anarchy means the best way for them to do that is to guarantee uh, financial progress, economic growth, things like that. Because – this is this is just a speculative thing because a lot of experts on China will tell you that the government is – much more vulnerable to instability than it would have us believe. Oh, yeah. Anytime you're trying to unify that many people into one thing, mm-hmm. any small uprising could become a larger movement pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And so, we, yeah, and we want to be fair and say that from that Chinese perspective, from this pro – I can't believe we're saying this, Matt – from this pro-concentration camp perspective, Jeez. what they are doing – is curtailing a few individual rights in the interest of the greater good and the economic rights of the country or the the need to unify under one voice, one flag, and so on. Yeah. And they say they're preventing the rise of domestic terrorism. That's the that's the official thing, right? Yeah. You gotta you gotta break a few rights to save the omelet of unity. I don't know. That's, yeah, that's my, the attitude, that's, right? Yeah, that's a terrible comparison. Not, yeah. 
Well, and again, not our opinion, just trying to see it from the other side, right? That's one of the things we, we try and do here. So as, as word of these, these camps begin, the official PR line was, at least in the beginning, uh, what are you talking about? What camps? Yeah, see, that's okay. See, that's the sketchy part. Yeah. Because the, it, first it began as a, a true conspiracy. They conspired to kidnap these people. And then they conspired to say it wasn't happening. But eventually, just like the, um, the recent Saudi murder of the journalist, eventually mm-hmm. the facts were just too apparent. And so they, they changed their tone and they said, oh, okay, we didn't know what you were talking about at yeah. first. We don't have concentration camps, but we do have something that we like to call Vocational training centers. Tight. Okay, so like Job Corps or something, right? Yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. So they deny allegations of any persecution. They claim that the, all the measures used are meant to improve stability and solidarity to the far west, which is, by the way, we said there were over an estimated over 1 million people detained. Mm-hmm. The population of the area is only like 12 million Wow. At least uh, there, there are 12 million Muslim minorities of, of one ethnicity or another. And that means that a little under 10% of the population has been in one of these things or will be in one of these things That's, or is now. <laughs> that is rough. Jeez. And they said it's not about religion. Oh, no. They said, quote, China protects the religious freedoms of its people. All ethnic groups in China enjoy full religious freedom according to the law. And that's from Gang Shuang, a spokesman for the PRC's foreign ministry. He said that in September of 2018. Wow, very recently. Yeah, the United Nations, by the way, completely disagrees. They say this is malarkey. You have to release everyone who's been detained. And we'll we'll see what happens in the coming months because – you know, China is a huge force in the world. So what what could mitigate or ameliorate this situation? Let's, let's talk about what happens in the camps. Uh, also, this is a statement we'll hear multiple times in this episode. Uh, supporters of the practice have said, these are not like concentration camps. It's like summer camp. You know what I mean? We're training people to better improve their economic opportunities. We've heard that comparison recently in the news here in the United States as well, Mm -hmm. but we will get into that later. So in the camps, there are things like sing-alongs. Detainees are forced to sing patriotic songs for probably an average of two hours uh, on most days. They have to memorize a 10-point disciplinary code, and they have to participate in self-criticism sessions. Do you know what those are? It sounds like Scientology. It's kind of, it is kind of culty. Uh, a lot of places do this. Scientology does do this as well or something similar, I imagine. Mm-hmm. So a self-criticism session is when you get together with a group of people you know. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your coworkers. Maybe it's members of your um, nonprofit, your religious organization, whatever. You all sit down together and you talk about how much you have screwed up, how you have wow. screwed up more than anyone and how fortunate you are to get a chance to improve and how much you want to improve, but what terrible, terrible things you've done and how inadequate and insignificant you are compared to what is normal or good. So, for instance, 
if there was something like this for podcasters, there was a self-criticism session, and we'd sit in a room and we would say, oh, man, I know deadline. I'm so terrible at deadlines. I'm the worst. And, you know, when it comes to uh, editing an outline or when it comes to uh, doing a QA or something, I am just a human stain. I have no idea why I'm here. I'm grateful, though. I'm grateful that the – and then you would name whatever the authority figure was. Like, I'm grateful the uh, the authorities have given someone as lowly and, I don't know, stinky as me a chance to – to try to be a little less subhuman, and then it probably goes to your left or your right. Someone else is – they may join in and criticize you, but the main thing is when it's their turn, they, they try to kind of one-up you with self-criticism. Yeah. They have to be like, oh, you're a, you're a human – I'm not even a human stain. I'm just – I'm like sloppy dirt. I'm like dirt with poop on it. It sounds like a lot of fun. It's supposed to, I think – inspire people to move toward honesty but psychologically that that sounds clearly manipulative right yeah to make you be your own enemy and then of course you have to in these camps you have to monitor other people oh yeah that's one of the big things if you're uh you could basically get put on night watch and you have to check your fellow detainees and make sure people don't turn away from the cameras that are set up to make sure everybody's sleeping mm-hmm. and or in the same, you know, you're, where you're supposed to be, essentially. Um, that's pretty messed up. Um, and, and let's talk about how some of the criteria, I guess, for how people end up in these camps. Oh, man, this is so insane that at first I wondered whether it was Western propaganda. And I have, I'm going to go ahead and say, I think some of it feels like it could be. Yeah, yeah. So we found a list assembled by Tanner Greer over at foreignpolicy.com. Uh, this was in September of this month as well. And Tanner cited 48 reasons that are apparently on the books, 48 reasons that people were detained or sent to one of these camps in Western China. Some of them make sense. Some of them make sense like um, – I don't know, owning multiple knives, I guess? Yeah. That's weird. But owning a tent? Yeah, owning, owning a tent, owning welding equipment, uh, having extra food somewhere in your domicile or with you. Telling, arguing with an official makes sense, but telling people not to swear? That's weird. Yeah, well, and then you get into some of the religious discrimination here where, you know, if you're – if you're a Muslim and you don't drink alcohol and you don't smoke cigarettes, that's what you're supposed to do. They sent someone to they sent someone to a camp for that. Yeah, at least allegedly, according to this. Um, but then you know there are all kinds of other ones. Gosh, uh, not letting officials take your DNA mm-hmm. or uh, speaking your native language in school, not speaking Chinese. Which completely would make sense perhaps to some of the population. Oh, sorry. And that's Mandarin specifically. Oh, exactly. Um, But, you know, then, okay, here's where we're going to play devil's advocate a little bit too, right? Mm -hmm. So there were these uh, violent acts that occurred 2009 to 2016. And then according to the government, these are re-education camps, right? These are vocation camps. Then – if you're if you're looking at a population that in your mind as the government has the potential at least elements within this population have the potential to be violent or perhaps even in your mind become uh, radicalized 
is a, a word we can use there, I think. Mm-hmm. There are things on this list like having a VPN, having WhatsApp, speaking with someone abroad via Skype, uh, traveling abroad, knowing people who have traveled abroad, speaking mm-hmm. with someone who has traveled abroad. I can imagine some of these as the criteria as being a little more – at least make a little more sense to me personally just because we have researched before how ISIS was infiltrating other countries specifically through those means, through WhatsApp, through uh, WeChat and Skype and some of these other um, apps mm-hmm. where there was communication occurring across borders and in attempt to radicalize a small population. Yeah, yeah. And that's I, – I think that's a really fair and valid point too because that is how some of those networks have spread and found new recruits. But how do you apply that to a million people? Also, owning a tent. Yeah. Having – speaking your native language at school, um, having a full beard is one of those. Yeah. What's the other – eating breakfast before the sun's up? Did I mention that one already? Yeah, that's that's pretty messed up. It's strange, and we were trying to find more specific anecdotes about this. One Uyghur interviewee told Human Rights Watch that he just stopped using his phone because he couldn't tell which websites would be okay for him to go on oh, wow. and which would get him in trouble. And then another person who didn't want to identi- be identified, uh, she said that she just stopped talking to neighbors and strangers altogether because she was worried she might accidentally say something that she didn't know was across the line and then get arrested. Jeez. So she just decided to – she just went full Drake, no new friends – I'm just gonna. I'm just going to talk to people I already know, and even talking to them, I will exercise some caution. Man, and you know, we have. Oh, there are so many places online right now where you can read a personal account mm-hmm. of uh, a family member, perhaps being taken to one of these. In a few cases, we actually have accounts of an individual who ended up in one of these camps for a short amount of time. Right. Yeah, we do. We have a story of a 23-year-old woman named Guli who was picked up by police in a park in Urumqi in June, and she was uh, she was sentenced to 15 days in a detention center, or 15 days at quote unquote school, for not having her ID with her. And local authorities had already had her on their radar because. There have been reports that she wore a hijab, which you weren't supposed to do under the age of 45 there, and that she also prayed. Yeah. Um, And and she said when she was there, she was detained with another 230 people, Mm -hmm. roughly. And most of the women there were Uyghur or Kazakh. A few were Han Chinese even, which, you know, this this feels more like a – it's tough. When when you notice that there's that large of a range of people that perhaps – there is even more social um, social motivation be- behind these things, like truly, truly re-education camps where – I don't want to say it, but perhaps brainwashing is occurring where you're trying to fully change people's thinking mm-hmm. to assimilate. I mean it feels very Borg to me in that way, even if you've got uh, you know, Han in there. Mm-hmm. And Guli spoke to other people while she was in there. She said one woman told her that police uh, found this Happy Eid message for her on her phone. This is a, a Muslim holiday. And mm-hmm. another that she spoke to said that she had been there for 10 years. Yeah, Eid is the 
end of Ramadan. Mm-hmm. So it's it's essentially the same thing as saying Merry Christmas. You know what I mean? Yes. You found that message on your phone. Well, because that was another part of the the requirements there, reasons that people were in the detention centers, because you didn't allow authorities full access to your phone and allowing them to back up and download everything on your phone. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's true. It's true. And the guards would practice intimidation with the detainees or the inmates. The guards regularly told Ghuli, again, according to her account, that she would be imprisoned for another six months for some arbitrary reason. They would shout at inmates for speaking, for walking near windows, or for not always speaking in Chinese. Uh, Ghuli saw a woman in a cell across from hers who had her hand chain, her hands chained to her feet for four days. Jeez. And then there was another guy, a a Kazakh, Muslim as well, named Kerat Samarkand, who was forced to wear something that he called iron clothes, an outfit of iron claws and rods that left him immobile in like a star, like a five-pointed star position. Jeez. And one time he had to wear it for 12 hours because he refused to make his bed. Um, And although they were not told outright to renounce their faith, They were continually inundated with messages like, there is no religion. The government and the party will take care of you. There is no God. Before each meal, they had to thank the Chinese president, Xi Jinping. They were required to learn the names of all the top Chinese leaders, and they had to recite them in different chants along with their songs. Uh, We found one of the chants as well. If there were no party, if there were no Xi Jinping, there would be no country. There you go. That's a that's one chant. Super catchy, right? Yeah. I wonder if it rhymes in Mandarin. But tell tell us if it does. Uh, but there are other chants too, right? Yeah. You also got at all times I should be civilized, honest, respect my elders, obey laws, dress neatly, love work, and be industrious and frugal. I am a citizen who obeys laws and regulations. Drop the beat. <laughs> wow. It's scary stuff, but we we do know that the repeated pronunciation of certain phrases or even just mm-hmm. thinking those phrases over and over again can change the way you think. It can influence it Absolutely. Uh, to a great degree. And currently, this situation is ongoing. I think the United Nations is attempting to hold some meetings about it in the near future as we record this. Uh, we will hopefully have some sort of update, but you can see pretty clearly that from the Chinese government's perspective, this is a necessary thing to do. Um, And you can see from the other side, from the rest of the world's perspective, and especially from the Uyghur perspective, this is assimilation and colonization. Uh, I would would ask you to check out some of the documentaries about what's going on in that part of the world if you would like to learn more. What the Chinese government is doing is they're taking people of the Han ethnicity from other parts of China, usually rural parts, and they're sending them out as settlers in this area. They're giving them the best land for farming, and they're pushing the Uyghurs increasingly to the fringes of society if they do not assimilate. This is ongoing. Uh, these are these do fit the definition of concentration camps. It's, they're not acts of genocide yet. They're they're concentrating people of a specific ethnicity or religion in a single place and attempting to change them. 
Yeah. Change them and also change the areas in which they used to live. Exactly. And this this sounds pretty messed up, right? Yeah, sounds really messed up. But wait, because these things get so, so much worse. While we're on the Asian continent, let's travel to the northeast. We're in the northwest. Now let's go to the northeast to the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, also known as North Korea, also known as the Hermit Kingdom. It's a reclusive country ruled exclusively by a single family, the Kim Dynasty, and uh, the descendants – in most cases now the descendants of families that assisted the Kims in the days of the Korean War. Yeah, and we've talked about this country before the DPRK. We've talked briefly about some of the labor camps that have that exist there to this day. But let's just jump back into it. For, for decades, this country and the population, the people that live there, they've been brutally repressed, forced to participate in all kinds of propaganda activities. They've been encouraged to spy on one another. And I mean, this is a huge one, like spying on one another, keeping everybody else in line that's around you in your small community, wherever it is that you live. They also have to submit completely and absolutely to the person that is ruling, which will always, at least for the foreseeable future, be mm-hmm. someone in the Kim dynasty. Mm-hmm. They, um, and by the way, this is where it gets super weird for a lot of people, me included. It borders on it borders on being a cult where you are worshiping a leader or a god in a way. Like, yeah, religious fervor almost. It, absolutely. So and, you, and it's yeah. a forced thing or it's a uh, – let's say it's highly requested. Right, right, exactly. You can see this in different documentaries. For instance, um, there's one where a nonprofit has traveled to Korea to um, to help with medical conditions, especially – they're working on people's eyes and helping restore or improve their vision – and one person who had been blind for some time has an operation so they can see again and they don't thank the doctors. They fall to their knees weeping, thanking a large portrait of uh, – I think it was Kim Jong-il at that time. This – there's a question here about how much of this is sincere, how much of this is performative. You know what I mean? And it's a good question. It's one that's tough to answer. But especially if you have generations that have grown up with this as just being normal everyday life. And right. Just, this is how you function. And especially if it uh, ensures your good standing in the community because we're giving a, a relatively simplistic but overall accurate depiction of the social climate. One thing a lot of outsiders don't understand about North Korean society is that despite the fact that on paper it's an egalitarian country, you know, with equal rights for mm. men, women, so on, etc. The society in practice is closely governed by a social hierarchy. It's highly stratified and it is based on your family's position before and during the outbreak of the Korean War. Yeah. And this is um, something that continues on within other aspects of the society, this idea of the generations before you can have a massive impact on how your life is going to be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
it's all in the blood, right? Uh, according to researcher and a Korea expert, a guy from the Brookings Institution, Kong Don Oh, he says, since the 1950s, the Kim regime has subjected its people to a series of political examinations in order to sort out those who are presumed to be loyal or disloyal to the regime. I think for three years, starting in 1967, Kim Il-sung needed the entire population to be categorized into three big groups. There was a loyal core class and then a suspect wavering class and a politically unreliable hostile class, kind of the untouchables. Jeez, just uh, three options there to be placed into. Well, you got you got the three big options, but then you have a bunch of other classifications in there, right? Oh yeah. Okay. So then so then you get into 51 subcategories. So so let's look at the middle wavering class, which is just a very strange way to classify it. Um those who in the wavering class who have been landowners before the communists came to power or those who had resided in the southern half of Korea before 1945. So these are just ways to separate people again a little bit further depending on where they were, what they were doing at that time. Right. Yeah. And again, you can still be in one of these classes just based on your grandparents, your parents' situation. Essentially where they lived. Mm-hmm. And the political history of your parents, grandparents, and even people as distant as your second cousins are also a determining factor in this process. In 1980, I think they had a party congress meeting in the DPRK, and about 25% of the population, one out of four people, fell into the loyal class the core, the good ones. Mm -hmm. And then 50%, one out of two people, were in the wavering class, sort of like the middle class kind of thing. And the remaining 25% were relegated to the hostile class. So the bell curve. So the bell curve. It makes sense. That's generally, statistically, how it would work out. And Uh. it goes deeper than we might imagine because these three classes that we mention enjoy or suffer from distinct differences in day-to-day society in the country. But remember, folks, how Matt mentioned earlier that there was uh, – that your parents' position could affect you. It got even worse because for a long time, the DPRK practiced something called intergenerational punishment. Yeah. So with this, and we mentioned it before in that other episode, if someone, let's just say an individual, uh, attempts to escape the country in some way to, to leave or repatriate, their family, the people that they leave behind in the DPRK, can be punished for three generations. Now, when we say three generations, we don't just mean your, let's see, this person's fam- uh, parents and their grandparents. No, we mean like the sons and daughters and then the grandsons and granddaughters and then continue on down for three generations. Which is insane. This means that people are denounced as politically unreliable. They're found guilty of political crimes. Of course, without the bother of a trial and all that slow jazz, they run the risk of being sent to, along with their relatives, being sent to a North Korean prison camp known as a Kwaliso, K-W-A-L-L-I-S-O. And let's, let's talk about what a Kwaliso is after a word from our sponsor. 
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. And we are back. I've got the feeling this is going to be a long episode, man. Yeah, we just got to power through it. We got uh, this. It's, it's a rough topic. 
So there are currently an estimated 80,000 to 120,000 prisoners in these camps. It used to be 150 to 200,000 back in the 90s and early 2000s. But due to famine, deaths, uh, releases at some point, and the fortunately the eventual abandonment of the punish your whole family practice, the number is down. Yeah, and, and – this this is one of the most in, insane parts. So detainees are a lot of the time told that they are traitors. You're a traitor to this nation. You have betrayed your leader and you deserve to be executed. But the party in its good-natured mercy is allowing you to work off what would be your execution and instead live. It's insane. Uh, and you're going to repay the nation through forced labor for the rest of your life. Yeah. These people are routinely starved and beaten. Uh, we've got an account from a guard who depicted just sickening, horrific conditions. People who have survived these camps and people who have researched them or, or commented on them have compared the conditions of these camps to Central and Eastern Europe, to the Nazi regime's concentration camps. And the general consensus is that Although this exists on a much smaller scale, it is the closest modern thing to what uh, – to the atrocities of World War II. Yeah, without being – you know, m- without mass killings, right? We have to always say that. Well, there's still thousands of people dying but not millions. Exactly. And a lot of the information does come from eyewitness accounts which can be somewhat problematic because you don't know if those are propaganda from the South Korean side – uh, you don't know how accurate they may or may not be. There was a former guard at a political prisoner's camp named An Myung Chol, and before he defected, he witnessed a lot of insane he, – insane is not a good word. I would say unholy things. Yeah. Here, here. Things that will taint your soul. Well, here you go. Prepare to be tainted. Quote, When I first saw them, I thought we had captured a bunch of the South Korean beggars we often see depicted on North Korean TV. One of my buddies said that later he'd heard that midgets live in special communes, and he thought we were entering such a village. The inmates were all short like midgets. They were walking skeletons, nothing but skin and bone. They frightened me. On average, they are about 4 feet 11. Their faces are covered with cuts and scars where they have been struck. Most have no ears. They have been beaten off. Many have crooked noses or only one eye, or one eye turned in its socket. Jesus. And we're using these words just because they're a quote from his end, right? Yeah, uh, that's not my – those are not my words. Right. Uh, the tortures and punishments included amputation, mutilation of sexual organs, forced abortions, public executions, which were later changed to secret executions so that uh, the prisoners would not – try to rise up. Uh, The prisoners are routinely sexually assaulted, disemboweled if they resist. Even if they do behave, they may become victims of horrific medical experiments, including exposure to extreme weather conditions to see how the body reacts, uh, exposure to poisonous substances, gases, and so on, and vivisection. The DPRK officially denies the existence of these camps and the international community is well aware of them, has confirmed many of the reports from defectors, including the satellite imagery they found and and so on. Uh, They're trying to be careful to make sure they're not falling for propaganda, but there's very little international pressure to end this. And that's the thing. It used to be covered up 
but the world knows this is happening right now. Yeah. And what do we do about it? Do, you know, does the international community decide to invade the DPRK to put an end to it when they have at least some nukes? Right. Right. And when they are functionally a vassal state for China. Yeah. Now, this, we want to be clear, this is not meant to be a hit piece on the practices of Asian countries. We have uh, two more examples here. And this is, again, just scratching the surface. Let's travel to Chechnya, uh, officially known as the Chechen Republic. Chechnya is a republic of Russia located off the North Caucasus, about 62 miles from the Caspian Sea. It doesn't pop up in the Western news a lot today. It's, it's kind of a small place. Uh, like Xinjiang, it is a majority Muslim region. 95% of the population in the capital city are Muslim. Overwhelmingly, they're Sunni Muslim. And the republic is relatively small. Its population has been heavily reduced uh, due, as a result of a series of conflicts, the Chechen and Russian conflicts most notably. But this region appears to, despite its small size and relatively small population, it appears to have a dark and terrifying secret. Yeah, around 2007, reports began emerging, specifically uh, from the Russian paper Novaya Gazeta and uh, several other human rights groups and, like we said, online, just things were popping up, that the government of Chechnya was actively kidnapping detaining and torturing gay men in these secret camps that they were referred to as concentration or re-education camps, very mm -hmm. similar to some of the other ones we've, uh, we've looked at today. Now, of course, as soon as these reports begin coming out, it's denied by official sources. They suggest there are – this is one of the craziest things. They suggest – that there are no homosexuals in the Muslim-majority region. And um, it, it was also stated that it's impossible to persecute those who are not in the republic. So there's an official denial by several top-level officials that gay people within Chechnya even exist. Right. Not only is there not a uh, concentration camp in our government – we don't have anyone to put in there because yeah. there's no such thing as gay people here. The problem with that, what's interesting about that, is it is completely and demonstrably untrue. Well, especially, I mean, now, uh, as we've seen here, there have been several videos taken that you can watch online right now that show the process of some people being abducted mm -hmm. and taking or being taken to one of these camps. Yeah, there was for a long time a secret prison, which was the primary site of this hidden concentration camp, located in a town called Argun. It was once a military headquarters and then became home to these violent interrogations. Witnesses described being tortured and beaten while being ordered to confess their sexual orientation and then give up the names and location of more men that they know or suspect to be gay. Um, yeah, and they don't yeah. even have to give up the names sometimes because usually when these people are, are, are abducted, their phones are taken and mm -hmm. then their phones are essentially looked through and the authorities there search for others who may be what they would consider to be accomplices. And it doesn't even matter if those folks are gay. They will threaten the victims, friends and family members. Torture includes assault, electric shocks, at times fatal physical violence. At least three, three people have died. 
as a result of this uh, still unacknowledged secret program. Uh, at least one was physically beaten to death, which is an ugly, ugly way to go. Sometimes, in fact, the men are ransomed to their families and then they are released only to be arrested again, beaten, and ransomed again. No one knows exactly how long this has been going on. No one knows for sure who's behind this purge. We do know that the law enforcement in charge of this is making some money off of it because of the ransoms. And the Kremlin, for its part, denies any knowledge of this event. Yeah, and at this point, I think there are only around 100 people who have been confirmed to have been taken to one of these camps like this. Again, confirmed. Mm -hmm. We don't know how long it's been going on, like Ben said, or how extensive it is, but there are at least that many cases that we know of. And as with the earlier cases, uh, the camps in Korea and the camps in China, we will update uh, as we learn more. We'd like to – we'd love to have some good news at some point. I've got some bad news. Yeah, I think I think I know where you're going with this, Matt. The United States also makes this list, not and not just you know with uh, the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. No, we we made this list uh, this year. Right. It would be hypocritical to ignore America's disturbing past and present when it comes to concentration camps. That is correct. Past and present. We okay. So we have what we have uh, Muslim communities, impossible terrorist communities in western China. We have uh, gay men in Chechnya. We have political dissidents, alleged political dissidents in North Korea. In the U.S., we have children. Yeah, uh, children being caught up in immigration, migration politics. Right. Families from other countries, typically Mexico, South Central America, uh, traveling illegal illegally to the U.S. are apprehended by U.S. authorities. When they have children with them, they have been, especially in recent years, forcibly separated from their parents. They've broken up the family. And the furor in the U.S. is growing over this policy. It's called zero tolerance. And the idea is that we should prosecute all illegal immigrants and separate them from their children as kind of a deterrent, as a warning. Yeah, to make sure other parents don't show up with their kids. It's important to say before this um, gets penned entirely on one administration or another that at times in the past, this sort of detainment had occurred as well under the um, Obama administration. Yes. In what I want to say 2014 or so. And and this type of thing has occurred before that as well in fits and starts kind of throughout the history of this country where – where people trying to migrate into the United States are detained, at least temporarily. Um, And usually it's to then, hopefully, at least in the eyes of the government, turn them back around and send them away somewhere else. And it's it, we've talked a little bit about it. There's the Stewart Detention Center mm-hmm. where, where they do it with the adults. But this is the first time at least the national public has really been um, shown the pictures of children in this detention camp mm-hmm. kind of thing and hearing the stories of mothers and fathers and children being ripped apart. Yeah, this – this is really – this series of photographs, which you can find easily online, that's really the spark that lit the powder keg. He's, uh, the, the pictures you see will show kids in these sort of fenced-in, cage-like enclosures, 
just sitting there maybe in, with a mattress or a pallet on the floor. Mm-hmm. These kids are being detained not because they are guilty of a crime, but as a strategy to terrify immigrants considering crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. As of October 1st, 2018, the New York Times and CNN estimated that 13,000 children have been separated from their families. They're not going to school. They don't have access to books. Uh, they're not they're not in any kind of structured environment or uh, taking any sorts of classes. And there's more than one detention center. They're located across the country. A lot of them are tent cities. The administration, realizing that people had a moral problem with this, whether or not they were, you know, uh, very, very anti-immigration or very, very pro-immigration, one thing most people can get behind is the idea that you shouldn't take like a a, a seven-year-old from their mom in a foreign country and just put them in a storage unit, essentially. So That's freaking infuriating, man. So the administration wanted to soften this term or soften this phenomenon or the perception of it, and they started to use the term tender age shelters to describe where the children are held after the kidnapping. Jesus. Well, that's what – I mean, that's what it is. It might be controversial for some people – uh, to hear us call it kidnapping, but it is kidnapping. Yeah, and there's something in common with these detention centers. A lot of the times it's just a, an area or a building or just a piece of land that has not been used for a while. And it's, it's usually best for a lot of these, no matter which country you're in, if you can find a large, somewhat uh, disused building because it, you don't need much besides walls. In these cases, you don't even need walls. You just, you're going to put tents on some land. Mm-hmm. Um, you, 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 it looks like a prison. Again, we're, we're talking just chain link fences, barbed wire. Um, and there's one in Tornillo, Texas, that's home to one of the largest tent camps. And in this place, it was like designed, I guess, to have 450 miners kept there. But in the future, the, the United States authorities plan to have at least up to 3,800 children detained there at some point. Right. And obviously, these children have no recourse to legal action, even if they were mature enough to attempt to engage it. Uh, there's no way for them to see their parents, their relatives, siblings. They have no idea or very little idea what's happening to them and why. Because, again, these are children. And there are people who have said that this is – the, the kids are not being hurt and they're not being deprived of human rights, but that it's really not the U.S.'s fault for doing this. It's the parents' fault for putting their kids in that situation. And then other people who are opponents of that say that that is at best a disingenuous argument and on a moral level, at worst, it's, it's incredibly cowardly and misleading. Well, and well at the absolute worst – it's not true at all because we have seen allegations of abuse at these centers. That's true. That's true. And we've seen a precedent for this in U.S. history. In the Chicago Tribune, Garrence Burke and Martha Mendoza point out that decades after the nation's child welfare system ended the use of orphanages over concerns about the lasting trauma orphanages have to children uh, or have on children, uh, the administration is starting up new institutions to hold Central American toddlers that the government separated from their parents. So they're kind of – they're like hopefully temporary orphanages 
And Immigrations and Customs Enforcement prevents journalists from reporting on the detained immigrants. But we do know that several workers from the centers, especially the Centers for Minors, have been charged with sexual abuse. Uh, We can only imagine what happens in the absence of a free press. Looking at this, because as we know, secrecy breeds these rumors, and it's a black box. A lot of people have no idea what's going in there. ICE has denied allegations of abuse. And again, members of the administration have described this as more like a summer camp. Yeah, we've also seen people in the media talking about how it's a summer camp, um, which is, again, like brutal to hear, especially if you have a kid and you imagine this happening to you. Um, Okay, I won't get into it too much. It's just, it's brutal no matter why it's happening. Mm -hmm. And it's especially brutal to know that right now while we're recording this on Halloween 2018, there are a ton of kids still detained in these places. 13,000. When we say kids, we're not necessarily talking about 14-year-olds. Some of these children are under five years old. Yeah. Where the hell are their parents? Going by, and I know this, I know this can be such a hot-button issue, but looking at the facts, going by the definition of a concentration camp, this is one. It is in this country— It is built not to capture people based on their ethnicity, nor their religious leanings, nor their sexual orientation. It is built to imprison children. Yes. It is not comparable to something out of the Holocaust. And I think that is unfair to be categorized in that way. Yeah. But it is atrocious in its own right. And the question is, what is the the better solution, right? Is it to just – house these if if people are being detained and they're applying for asylum or they're you know going to be deported or sent back to their home country why separate the family fear should is it is it um, a logistics case i don't know we want to hear what you think is it psychological torture the way you're mentioning matt yeah i mean i think that's the only reason to do it to to try and prevent other families from mm-hmm. attempting to get in so then is it a deterrent yeah. This this brings us to this brings us to maybe not a conclusion in the story because all four of these modern concentration camps are around and active today. Um, but it does bring us to a pause and the pause for questions. While it is perhaps comforting to imagine that the world in which we live has progressed beyond the days of pogroms and genocide and brutal acts of detainment, even a cursory look shows that this is not the case. People are still being imprisoned for their ethnic identity, religious political beliefs, their sexual orientation, arguably the actions of their parents, which they had little to no control over. And we have to ask ourselves, what else is out there? These are not the only stories of these kinds of camps. There are refugee camps where people have been, for their ethnicity, forced into um, very, very difficult situations with very little chance of getting back to a normal life. Yeah, we didn't even talk about some of the Rohingya refugee camps Mm -hmm. and some of those things that are happening now. Out in Myanmar, yeah, Mm -hmm. or Burma. How will future historians judge our civilization? We don't know. We want to hear what your take is, but one thing's for sure. In countries across the planet, governments are secretly hoarding and torturing people for things the rest of the world doesn't consider a crime. And this is quite literally the stuff they don't want you to know. So, yeah. What a downer Um, episode, man. Hey, it's okay. It's okay. Um, 
So write to us, find us on social media where we are conspiracy stuff on uh, most of the places on Instagram or conspiracy stuff show. You can, <laughs> you can leave us a voice message and call us. We are one eight three three S T D W Y T K. Just uh, call that, call that number. Listen to Ben for a second. He'll, he's got a cool message there and then leave a message and then it might get on the air. If you don't want to do any of that stuff, Just send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality potency and consistency scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality visit lazarusnaturals.com today lazarus naturals committed to improving your life as well as the world around you not available in idaho iowa or south dakota 